Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside Numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Cubs PS Plus is now part of the Fans First Sports Network as part of Bleacher Bunch Productions, joining great shows like The Sun Ranto Show, Cup of Cubby Blue, and Baseball Rabbit Hole. This will be the first episode cross-posted, and in the coming weeks, the show will transition to that group. I'll continue to have the same focus and schedule, so continue watching for this podcast weekly. In addition to the podcast feeds, you can find me on Twitter or X, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. Love the pod or hate it, please drop a review wherever it is you find your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you can share an episode with a friend. You can also support the Cubs PS Plus podcast through Patreon at CubsPSPlus.Patreon.com. There are multiple support tiers, and Patreon members will always have access to ad-free episodes plus additional perks. Welcome into episode 60, the Manny Corpus episode of this podcast. Corpus, who had earlier been a closer in Colorado, wore number 60 for the Cubs in 2012, becoming one of the first of what would be many post-Tommy John surgery signings by Theo Epstein. The Cubs have added a number of young players to the 40-man roster over the last week, and today I was joined by friend of the pod Greg Huss of Northside Bound and the Cubs on Deck podcast. We talked about the guys the Cubs added, get into a number of strategies for turning prospect depth into a winning big league club, and then we dive into the first year of his bash metric, which equalizes offensive production across levels of the minors in a way somewhat similar to WRC+. Are you ready? Are you ready for some numbers? I'm ready. Here we go. This week, I'm thrilled to be joined by Greg Huss of Northside Bound and the Cubs on Deck podcast. Greg, welcome back to the show. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Always fun coming on and, and chatting. Uh, I mean, I guess prospects is my thing, right? So always, yes. always fun talking prospects. Well, and the cool thing is right now, I think we get to have kind of a unique conversation because obviously there's the 40-man stuff going on, but the Cubs, it's it's winning time now, right? I mean, yeah. last yeah. couple of years, it's been a lot of like, let's build the system up. It's a weird mix right now, right? Like where where my world and, and Cubs, uh, like major league bloggers, podcasters, stuff like that, our worlds collide a little bit where it's like, all right, like we're, we're competing at the major league level. What can prospects do for me like right now? Whether it's, it's prospects coming up and making a, a, an immediate impact or prospects being traded away. I know there's been plenty of the, the Juan Soto rumors. It's like, all right, who mm-hmm. can the Cubs trade as far as prospects? Is it James Triantos? Is it, is it 
Kevin Alcantara, who is it that goes in a Juan Soto trade? So like this is the kind of the 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 combining of different worlds, which is kind of entertaining. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about some of that stuff because when you start looking at the value of players, you know, Juan Soto is a better player than Pete Crow Armstrong is right now. But what is one year of Juan Soto worth compared to six or more years of Pete Crow Armstrong? Yeah, dude, I that's that's so interesting. I'm I I always like like to emphasize, and I think because I get a lot of the questions, right? Where it's like, yeah. oh, like what what prospects will the Cubs trade for Soto or whoever it is? And I always preface by saying, like, I trades confuse the heck out of me, man. Like they they are they are so strange where it's entirely dependent on how other teams view your players, not on mm -hmm. how how the team views your players, because like. You look at, at at years past when the Cubs were trading for prospects, right? When they were getting the those really young, the 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 U Darvish trade, the Anthony Rizzo trade, the the Chris Bryant. When they're getting these super young guys, the, the teenagers back in in trades, were like at the time it was really frustrating because not because of the players we were getting back in those trades, but because of the timeline that they were on. Mm -hmm. Where it's like these are all teenagers; they're they're lottery tickets in a lot of ways. And I think that that now looking at it. It's like these guys have worked out. None of those were, were top 100 guys when the when the yeah. Cubs traded for them. Not a single one of them was. So um, to have that now and have all these top 100 guys is super impressive from the Cubs standpoint of like identifying who can eventually be those like high end prospects. Yeah, I remember when PCA when we traded for PCA for Javi Baez. Yeah. People were super excited about that from the start, but he was what 19 and had played like 10 games before he got hurt that year. Exactly. Yeah. So. so like, it's like being card. able to predict those trades and say like, oh, the San Diego Padres, they want Kevin Alcantara versus Owen Casey. It's like, I do not know. You know, like, yeah, exactly. how, how how could I, like, I don't even know where to rank Kevin Alcantara versus Owen Casey. And I watch him 120 games a year. So, yeah. I, like, I, I, don't, I don't know how they would value one guy in a trade and giving up Juan Soto for him. I don't know. That's wild. Right. Well, let's jump in. So that we have some breaking news tonight. Um I think it was earlier this week or this weekend they added Luis Vasquez to the 40-man roster, and they had three spots left tonight, and there were a bunch of guys up in the air eligible for Rule 5, and they added Porter Hodge, Bailey Horn, and Michael Arias to the 40-man. So they're sitting at 40. Um, those three those three new ads, what are your thoughts there? Any yeah, surprises? Yeah, so Brian and I went on the Cubs on Deck podcast. We released an episode this morning kind of previewing five players that seem the most likely to be to be added to the 40-man roster slash selected in the rule five draft um and those three guys were three of the five as well mm -hmm. as cole franklin um and pablo aliendo so um i think all three guys were on our radar however uh i was not expecting the cubs to add three guys i was not i was not expecting i i could I could make a, a very reasonable case for all three of them as to why they were added, obviously, mm -hmm. and I can I can get into details on why they were added. But the fact they added three was kind of shocking. Like I was ex I was expecting one player to get added, and then I was I was in the boat that I would I would have I would have been more surprised with the Cubs adding two than zero. I I, I thought okay. zero was more likely than two, and they went and added three. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I I like all three players quite a bit, and I think that. Uh, uh, I, I think they were all added for very specific reasons. Um, and kind of running through those, I starting with Porter Hodge is who mm -hmm. you mentioned first. Um, I think that he was added just because he has some nasty stuff. Uh, it came uh, an article article came out at Baseball America I think last week 
talking specifically about that stuff that he has. Um, just super, super unique. You know the Cubs love pitchers that are really unique. He's got a fastball. Well, it's a it's a cutter fastball. Porter Hodge throws it as a fastball. Um, but you it know it's weird when like you can't name it, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Porter Hodge throws. He he says he throws a fastball. Um, he if you look at all the numbers behind it, he throws a cutter. Um, okay. it's a, it's a, a fastball in the mid nineties that has, that moves like a, it, it has that cut ride action, like what the Justin Steele effect, but mm-hmm. it's coming in at 95 miles an hour, 96 miles an hour. Um, and he's got a slider that is one of the, the, has some of the most horizontal break of a slider in the entire system. And so that's why he was added was, was the, the crazy stuff. Um, Michael Arias, on the other hand, he was added because he also has some pretty good stuff. The fastball touches triple digits. Um, he comes at a at a low um, angle where it, it makes it really, really difficult on hitters to pick up on that fastball and get on top of that. Um, and the changeup is really solid from Michael Arias. The slider is still a little ways off. He, he, throws, he throws some good ones every once in a while, but it's really the fastball changeup. He was added because of the higher upside. Like, he's the high upside play. Um, and then the, the third guy, um, in adding Bailey Horn, I viewed that addition kind of as a need in the organization. Obviously he's very mm-hmm. good at pitching. He's a lefty, um, with a really good sweeper with some good fastball cut right action on the fastball as well. But he was added because there's not a whole lot of, of lefty relievers in this organization right now at the major league level or below. And so it's kind of like you want to you make sure you, you hold on to those guys that you need that position. So all three different reasons why I think they were added, but all three legitimately good reasons why they're now part of the 40-man roster. Yeah, and Bailey Horn, I mean, to the earlier point about trades, like the Cubs got him for Ryan Tapera from the White Sox. Yeah, exactly. Two and a half exactly. years ago. Yeah, yeah, which is wild to think about. Yeah, it's crazy. Um so I, I remember last year I had you on around this time and we talked about the rule five stuff and there was, there were even more guys last year at risk. And, and one of the things you brought up is that because of COVID, there wasn't a rule five draft the year before. So everything was kind of double loaded. Um, there really weren't that many guys picked last year. And now just a refresher, um, for people who aren't familiar with the rule five, but the rule five, um, was a threshold. It's four years in the system or five past. It's, it's, yeah, once you, if you're, if you're signed at, um, 18, age 18 or, or, or younger, mm-hmm. it's five. And if you're signed at 19 or older, it's four. Yeah. Yeah. And basically it makes sure that you won't get stuck in the system. Yeah. The whole idea of it is so that like, if you are, if you are a good player, um, but you are in a really good, really good or really deep organization that you don't just get stuck in the minor leagues. It gives mm-hmm. it gives you a chance to to latch on with another team. If a team selects you, you have to stay at the major league level for the full year. Once once you're on on the the major league team for the full year, you get to stay in the organization. Um, but a lot of times, I, it it cracks me up. I, I think that like with this happening in, in mid November, it's kind of the first taste of like baseball maneuvering because we don't see signings at this point like, we don't see right. free agent signings or trades at this point so it's kind of like the world series is over this is the first like movement that is happening mm-hmm. but really like it, it's it's big for the players obviously like i, I love yeah. to see these guys getting out of the 40-man roster but like the rule five draft specifically is not very action-packed no. um and and the guys that are selected you'll see a lot of guys get that are that are drafted get returned back to their original team even before the season starts starts up. So uh, it's just really interesting. I the the 
the act what what happened today adding guys to the 40-man roster is those are some big moves um the actual rule five draft when it comes around in in december based on those guys like cole franklin um and pablo aliendo that are not added they're eligible for the rule five draft are they selected maybe it's it there's a chance the cubs have lost some guys in years past they lost chris clark in the rule five draft last Mm -hmm. year but again he was returned back to the organization this year so um, it's just it's funny because I think it, this is what we had to talk about. This is and it's good. It's good. Um, but it, it cracks me up how small of an impact the actual rule five draft has. Yes. Um, but I think it's for because the attention it gets. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's, it's important because these players are good enough to be added to the 40 man roster. If they did not add Bailey Horn or or uh, uh, any of these guys to the 40 man roster, they would be selected in the rule five draft. I mean, yeah. There's a good chance they would. Right. So um, well, they and- have to be protected. And the kicker is the team that picks them has to keep them on their active roster on their active roster for the full year. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is difficult so, to do, <laughs> right? But like a Bailey Horn or Michael Arias, you go to a, a bad baseball team, they could stash those guys in the bullpen and yeah. be fine right now. Yeah, um, I, I was trying to think back. I think the last one I can really remember the Cubs taking and sticking was Hector Rondon. Yeah, yeah, Hector Rondon was the last one where that actually happened. I know they 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 drafted. Um, in years following that, they drafted. I think Gray Finter was a guy they drafted from the Orioles. Returned him. Okay. Um, they drafted. They drafted. Actually, Brian mentioned it too on on our show. Uh, they drafted Caleb Smith, who actually turned out to be a pretty damn good reliever uh, for the Marlins or for uh, a pitcher for the Marlins. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And then he pitched for a couple other teams, but he, I think he was an All Star with the Marlins. And the Cubs drafted him, but then weren't. It, it was. I, I believe it was the 2017. They, they drafted him for the 2017 season. The, the roster was too loaded to keep that version of Caleb Smith on the roster. So he was, he was returned back to the Marlins um, and ended up being pretty right. good. We joked on the podcast. It was like, that was, that was Theo's Theo Epstein's way of like bragging. It was like, Hey, I drafted this guy. I know he's going to be good, but I can't keep him on my, on my roster. So yeah, it's, <laughs> it's an interesting thing. Yeah. So as we step through the off season, so we've, the first moves are clearing out the, the 60, 60 day IL and you've got these now. And I know Jed typically likes to sit 37, 38, 39, just so he has a spot in his pocket to go grab someone like Julian Merriweather off waivers. Um, what do you see cut-wise? I mean, because they're, they're at 40 now. Certainly as they sign guys, they'll have to make cuts. Like, who do you think is at risk? Yeah, I think some – so on Friday, there's some non-tender candidates. Um, that's, 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 how that, that's, that's how they're yeah. going to – that's how they're going to limit that. So it's at 40 now. It won't be at, at 40 come Friday night. Um, I think Patrick Wisdom's a pretty good non-tender candidate given the amount of amount of money that he's owed in arbitration this year. Um, so I think Wisdom's a good candidate. Miles Mastroboni's an okay candidate for non-tender. I don't know. I think that they probably decide to keep him around. I think he has value in playing multiple positions. He performed mm-hmm. really well in AAA this year. Um, I think that he's probably someone to keep around. Michael Rucker is probably on that short list of, of non-tender candidates. Um, he's just been kind of lying there on the uh, as a as a non-tender or DFA candidate for the past yep. like few years. But like the, the I think the club really likes what they've seen from him, and he's shown flashes of being pretty damn good. Yeah, he's so, given him just enough. Like exactly, was, just I was enough, lower right? on him than you last year, but then then he started pitching real well. For yeah, a while. yeah. So he's done just enough. Um, and then you got the the guys who, that have been injured, where it gets really interesting, right? So. Um, Ethan Roberts, love Ethan Roberts to death, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm, I think that he's probably on that list. Cody Hoyer, who has dealt with plenty of injury problems since he was acquired in the White Sox. I think those type of guys are probably non-tender candidates um, just because they haven't been on the field. It has nothing to do with their performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Ethan Roberts was great uh, during his time in the minors. He earned that 
40-man roster uh, spot uh, going into uh, going into what the the season before. Um, and so yeah. I, I think it's it's one of those things where um, that just the lack of them being on the field probably hurts them, obviously. So I think there's a few candidates there that that can clean up some some openings on the roster, and then Jed can go out and get his Julian Merriweather of this year. And let's talk about go back to Miles Mastroboni and talk about Luis Vasquez. So um, Luis Vasquez, great glove. Um, I've heard pretty elite defense um, yeah. from the clips I've seen. I totally believe it. Um, hitting maybe isn't there, but what we saw from Mastroboni this year is the versatility. Like he probably was unfairly treated early, having to be the right fielder when say was out, but he could play third base second. He could fill in it short. Um, he can play some corner outfield. And we saw with him, he was able to hit high fastballs. And I think the Cubs got him last year right before the rule five cuts. I think basically yeah. Tampa was going to have to cut him, mm-hmm. And so the Cubs and Rays worked out a swap. Yeah, that was that was literally yeah, the the Cubs uh, sent over. Oh, it was a relief, was a relief pitcher. It, I'm blanking. It on was his name. Uh, it was not uh, Gregory Montano. It was uh, uh, Alfredo Zaraga. Zaraga. Was yeah. yeah, was the guy they traded away. Uh, yeah, 100 percent. As a they they had too many guys on their 40 man roster. They needed to add some guys uh, to protect from the Rule Five draft. Miles Mastroboni was that guy. Um, yeah, that that was that was a situation where that that was exactly a year ago today that that happened. So, um, yeah, I, I think he becomes interesting. He's still got major league or minor league options. Mm-hmm. Um, he he performed pretty pretty well in AAA, right? Like he in his oh, yeah. he had 165 plate appearances in in uh, in AAA and posted a 4.48 OBP. That'll play. Yeah. <laughs> that's yes, that's that's tremendous, right? <laughs> he was very very good during his time in AAA and. Uh, he he ran that shuttle between Iowa and Chicago quite a bit, and like you said, he was he was forced. I think that that he got a bad rep just because he that error that he had in right field early on in the season. Yes. It's like ah crap, like now 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 that's that's what he's kind of known for early on here. But um, yeah, I, I think my I think Miles Mastroboni has value for sure. It's interesting though, like you mentioned with Luis Vasquez, like him him being a part of the forty man roster now. Luis Vasquez is just he's he's. Defense is his thing, and and yeah. defense has always been his thing. He's been a tremendous defender at shortstop, and obviously that will play elsewhere. Like if if you're that good defensively at shortstop, you can oh, go yeah. play some third base, yeah. you can play some second base. I trust him pretty much anywhere. But um, with him being that good of a shortstop, we just been waiting on for he has been been in the organization for a long time, mm-hmm. um, and so we were just waiting on the bat to do anything. Like he just needed to do something with the bat to warrant like continuing to getting called up added to the 40 man roster stuff like that uh and he did he hit this past year he, he ended up putting up um what 20 home runs this season he uh had an ops over the course of double a AA and triple a at 819 he was a really good performer uh, he was a really decent performer i guess uh, mm-hmm. offensively and that's all he needs to be he 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 doesn't even need to be an average hitter in order to, to bring value to a team if he's a below he can be a below average hitter and still bring value uh, not significantly below average because you still need to hit something, uh, right. but he can be a, at at the at triple A at, at at the major league level in um, not full playing time. I think that that Luis Vasquez can put up like a a six fifty OPS and still bring value because he's so good defensively. Yeah, he's pretty quick too, isn't he? He's 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 quick laterally. He's not going to go out there and steal you a ton of bases. I think he had. So he's not as fast as Mastroboni. 
No, no, and and really not as good of a base runner either. So Vasquez okay. had two, had ten stolen bases this year, but also was caught stealing ten times. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, Master Boney, I, I'd take him on the base running department over Vasquez. So it's been interesting over the last few years as the Cubs have made those trades at the deadline and been building up the system. It's been about, you know, I'm never one to believe that you have too many shortstops or too many third basemen Mm -hmm. or whatever. Like that stuff will work itself out. Um, But there also hasn't been that much concern about a lot of the talent was at high A, double A. Now it's more double A, triple A, knocking on the door of the bigs. Mm -hmm. And the Cubs are in a position where they missed the playoffs by two games, just went out and spent a record money on a manager poaching one from their rival. That was, that was a little shocking. Um, And so they're pretty clearly, I think in win now or win very soon kind of mode, maybe not fully all in this year, like 2016, but pretty much knocking on that door. Um, How do you look at it in terms of, you know, they've got Ian Happ locked up for three more seasons. Say is locked up for three more years. They got Dansby for six, Nico for three more. Um, There are now fewer and fewer spots where some of these kids can come up. Um, obviously holes at first base, third base, center field, maybe center field is PCA. Um, but as, as you look at some of the free agent moves, I'm never one that says like, don't go sign, don't go sign Shohei Otani because we have Alexander Canario. Like that's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. But I think there is a, a line where maybe the Cubs don't want to line up a guy, uh, lock up a guy for five years to block third base where maybe they have three or four guys that are, going to be knocking on the door in the next two years. Yeah, I get that. I I agree that you got to be careful with who you're signing and how you're – like, don't go out and sign Trey Mancini and Eric Cosmer to block Matt Mervis and his development path. That'd be really stupid. Who would do that? But (laughs) – yeah, can you imagine a team doing that? Um, (laughs) No, I but I I think that more times than not, if you are signing a player for – four, five, six, seven years, like the, the, the multi-year contracts, more than three, I guess, yeah. like more than three-year contracts. It's the, there's a, there's a major reason why you're doing that. It's because they're a really, really good player. You're yes. like average to a little bit above average players aren't getting four plus year contracts. And so like, if you're signing a player that's four plus years, sign them. Don't worry about who your prospects are. In my opinion, like yeah. even like, like, look, look back at like the Jason Hayward contract, right? And we mm-hmm. can, we could, we could revisit that. We could have a full podcast episode about that contract. But like, Jason Hayward was a like was a really good player. He got that long contract and that big contract because he was still very young and had performed mm-hmm. very well, both defensively and showed promise offensively to get that contract. So like, if you're signing guys because you think they're like they're really good players, go out and get like because you're hoping that these prospects become a guy that can eventually one day go out there and get a four, five, six, seven year contract, you know, like yeah. these, Al, these Al, the Alcantara, Alcantara's, the, the Owen Casey's, those guys, like hopefully one day they can sign those type of contracts. And so um, I, I don't want those, type, I, I don't want the, the one and two year contracts to prohibit a player from their development path. That's what I'm more worried about. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And it just gets to the point where, I mean, we already know, but in the system, they've got PCA, they've got Canario, Alcantara, Casey, like mm-hmm. a ton of outfielders that are never yeah. going to be the starting outfield in Chicago. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're going to be phasing some guys in. And maybe like Alcantara's timeline is maybe it kind of has happened, say, or rolling out of their contracts. So maybe yeah. that's different. Um, but I think, I think ideally, the way I look at the organization, I look at like the Rays and the Dodgers. 
Yep. I like the Dodgers model better because they actually spend some money. But like being able to kind of roll guys kind of continuously. Yeah. And I think one of the things that got the Cubs last time is all those kids came up together and they had Lester signed and Hayward signed. And so many of those guys kind of stretched out over the exact same window. So as they all were hitting ARB together, they got way expensive. They were all going to hit free agency around the same time. Um, and I know Jed's talked about that a little bit, but that's something I'll be looking for this offseason to see if they can stagger those lines a little bit. I mean, now you're now you're speaking my language, Mike. I mean, that's that, that's what I've been preaching for the past several years. Is like this this rebuild, whether it's called a rebuild or not, this rebuild is just different than the other ones. I, I know that I know that some of these guys are arriving right around the same time, right? The the uh, uh, you got PCA arriving at the same time as, as Canario. You got Owen Casey and Kevin Alcantara who were who were finishing the year in Double A last year. But there's a big difference between like right like you you look at Owen Casey and or let's look at, at Kevin Alcantara for example. Right, he is on the forty man roster, but he ended the year in Double A Tennessee last year. He spent mm-hmm. almost the entire year in in High A South Bend. So. Say this year, he spends the majority of the year in AA Tennessee, and then next year, the majority of the year in AAA Iowa. I mean, like, uh, you're obviously hoping for a much quicker timeline because sure. because he's already on the 40-man roster. I've, I've said this so many times. If you're a prospect already on the 40-man roster, once you reach AA, you're a call away. So yeah. that's take what I'm saying here with a little bit of a, a grain of salt. Sure. But, like, yeah. say, say he's not, like, ready to be a starting major league outfielder until 2020. Six, opening day 2026 rolls around at that yeah. point he's still 24 years old 25 mm-hmm. years old still super <laughs> young but like that's a much different timeline than like P- pca who is ready opening day next year potentially you know what i mean so like yeah i i i think that they still have different di- different general timelines matt shaw is another example like obviously he's he ended the year in double a tennessee as well but he was just drafted last year so like what is his actual timeline like will we see him next year in Chicago, potentially, but will he be ready to be a everyday contributor by the end of the year next year? Probably not. So I don't know. I, I, I still really like, although the guys are reaching the, the upper levels of the minors, I think that's actually a really good thing. And I think it's a good thing because you have a situation where they are all progressing and getting past the lower levels and still these top prospects. They're mm-hmm. not fizzling, fizzling out. You got a guy like Brennan Davis who has fizzled out, obviously. But a majority of these guys that we considered, oh, like they're up and comers, they're up and comers, mm-hmm. they're staying up and comers, or they're getting to that level that we hoped they would be at, as opposed to kind of like, uh, man, we hoped, but maybe now, now we're just hoping for him to be a regular, let alone like a star. So right. I don't know. I'm I'm still really liking what I'm seeing with with the way that the the system is progressing in terms of timelines for these players. Yeah, and one of the things like Matt Shaw is a good example. He came out and. I mean, he just tore it up after he got drafted. Yeah. And so it'd be interesting to see, go through an off season and see what it looks like starting the season and whether he carries that through or to some extent, his sample size was almost small enough that it was almost like a hot stretch, but it was a superheated hot stretch. Yeah, it was, it was a unique <laughs> hot stretch because it was, it was his first, his hot stretch was his first stretch in, in the cup yeah. system, right? He got, he got 159 total plate appearances. Uh, that That's enough to be, you look at 150 total, 159 plate appearances. That's enough to be, not just a like a quick short hot right. stretch. Yep. Um that's like there's something there. Now, is he gonna continue to hit three fifty <laughs> um over so. the course of his career? <laughs> yeah, of course he is. No, I'm kidding. Uh <laughs> no, he, it's like that's not sustainable. But like 
if he can be like he he had a he had a 136 bash for me and i know we'll get into that but he had a 136 bash for me last year um which was in that many plate appearances in the 159 plate appearances the highest bash in the organization um it's it's he was really strong and really impressive i'm i'm hoping he's even part of that start starting next year yeah well and you know we there's been so much focus the last few years on the outfielders but i like seeing um you know seeing Vasquez and seeing now Shaw and yeah. Jefferson Rojas exploding and Triantos having a big year. Like there's some there's some infield coming too. And I'll tell you what, like I, I think that that's why this off season I'm I am I am much more down with the idea of getting a. I know we need corner infield help. We need first yep. base, third base. Um, I'm much more down with the idea of getting some sort of first base first base slash DH type guy. Right? It can mm-hmm. be Cody Bellinger. It can be Pete Alonso. It can be Juan Soto. I, I I don't want to force the issue at third base. Like I don't think like Matt Chapman to me is not the answer. At that third was base. Matt Chapman was basically the question I asked you earlier. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. didn't say it out loud. Yeah, and I I just think that Matt Chapman is not the answer. I think that what you can do is you, you can't not do anything at third base and not do anything at first base. Correct. <laughs> uh, but like. Do something at first base because at third base you can. I think you can you can hold over. And I I, I I don't know if I tweeted this out or put it on on our on our 1060 West Discord where where I put it, but I put it in text somewhere um, that I think you can really be fine if you're the Cubs starting off next year with some combination of of Patrick Wisdom if he doesn't get non-tender of Patrick Wisdom, Nick Madrigal, Christopher Morel, something there at third base, just kind of a mm-hmm. mismatch of guys, right? Ideally, you love. Chris Morrell just to be the, the starting third baseman. That's, again, another full-blown episode worth yes, of is. conversation. But something there, just long enough to maybe hold you over until you get B.J. Murray up in Chicago that can maybe hold you over until you get Matt Shaw up in Chicago. I think that, like, there's enough, like, good things going on in the system at third base. That, and then maybe it's, like, maybe James Triantos is your guy at third base and Matt Shaw. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's There's enough going on there that I, I just – I would rather kind of, like, patchwork that. And I think that – especially Craig Council. I think that, actually, David Ross did a pretty damn good job of, like, making that work at third base this past year. And I think did. Craig Council could absolutely do a good job where you, you, you just kind of make it work. It, it, just, it just can't be a negative position. But I think it can be an average position there, at least holding you over to, like, like I said, Matt Shaw, James Triantos, B.J. Murray – Whatever you, however you want to toss that and get better, but I think you can get better throughout the year. Yeah, and it'd be different if we were looking at free agency and all of a sudden like Manny Machado or no, yeah, exactly. You know, Arnado were available out there. Then sure, go get the big star because yes, get the yep, big star. exactly. When Matt when Matt Chapman is your star third baseman of the offseason, it's like mm, yes. Yeah. I mean, if you could get him on a three year deal, maybe then yeah, maybe that's okay. Yeah. But like, I don't like him at five or six years. No, no, I, I, yeah, I just don't think, I don't see a scenario where he accepts anything less than four years, so. Yeah, especially with yeah. this market. And yeah. it's interesting with this market, too, and, and given the positions the Cubs have, obviously Shohei Otani is the big fish. He's the one mm-hmm. everybody wants. Um, and I think the whole, a lot of the market's going to depend on him anyway, but, like, if you're the Cubs and you're seriously trying to play in that space, obviously if they get him, he's the DH for the next six years. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't get him... Now DH is kind of in play. Like, do you go get, maybe you trade for Pete Alonso. Maybe you can also sign Reese Hoskins. Maybe you can trade for Juan Soto and maybe also get Reese Hoskins or whatever. Like, you're probably only making one big trade, but now there are more options that open up. I would, real, real quick, I would love, I mean, if, if I had my pick 
right now, like right, what might make the most sense. I'm I'm all in for whatever the trade for Juan Soto and then signing Reese Hoskins. That yes. that would be that'd be my one two punch with the with the hitters. Yeah. Short of Otani, that's that's well, pretty yeah, much where yeah, I sit too. Exactly. But, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm going to keep trying to speak it into existence. There. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I'd rather be just like put it off to the side and like be super surprised and just like yes. this is the greatest day of my life. Like. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Um, I guess so. When we start looking at the trades, I mean, I think obviously we we sort of hit it earlier. Like, I don't know from everything I've seen the last few years, reading a bunch of different people's opinions. Um, teams just aren't trading like top 10 in baseball prospects at this mm-hmm. point, unless yeah. maybe like when the Padres traded for Soto, but they were getting two and a half years of Soto as opposed to one year. Yeah. Um, so like who on the, who in the system do you think might be in, in a trade for a big star, whoever that star is? Like, are you, do you think we're up to the level of like the potentially Alcantara Casey kind of at the top level? Yeah. I, that's tough. So I, I think that that go down the list, right? So like I, I I'm getting ready to update my my prospect list uh, over at Northside Bound. I think we're I think we're uh, publishing those updates in probably early December. Or so it's coming okay. up so, coming up sometime soon. I've already pretty much locked in. I, I've I've got my top I got my top fifty locked in. <laughs> um, <laughs> Just fifty? Come on. Yeah, we'll, and we'll see how many I can get written up. So. Uh, if you kind of go, so you guys here are getting a, a little sneak peek at the top of my list here. But if you go down the list, right, PCA and Cade Horton, they won't get they won't get traded. No. I I I hate the word untouchable because I think that that's a dumb phrase to use. Every I player agree. can be traded for something, but it just like if if I I just don't see a scenario where a trade falls into play, place where PCA or Cade Horton get in, uh, get included in that. So then I got. Kevin Alcantara and Owen Casey at three and four. I think that I think that mm-hmm. that they headline a Juan Soto type deal. I don't even know if they get included in a, in a, in a Pete Alonso type of deal. I know that it's different, right? Because right? Pete Alonso does have some. Or what, does he, do he have two? Or is it this? Is that, he's not a rental, right? He has two years. No, it's after, one year for. Is it one year? Okay. Yeah. Then yeah, I don't even think he gets included in a in a Pete Alonso. I think like no. Kevin Alcantara, Kate, and and, uh, and Owen Casey. Those are those are the headliner of a Juan Soto. And then after that, I think it's like, if you're including those guys, it's, it's probably guys outside of like the top 20 after that. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and after that, then I think you start getting into some guys that I could absolutely, like, uh, I think these, like the, the Jefferson Rojas, Matt Shaw, Jordan Wicks, Jackson Ferris. Like, I, I think those guys are more likely to be included in, in those type of deals for Juan Soto or for Pete yeah. Alonso or for, take your pick at, at whatever scenario gets kind of thrown out there in, in trades. But I think that that's kind of your sweet spot. Jefferson Rojas feels weird because I, I, I'm guessing that he has much more value internally. Like I'm guessing the Cubs yeah. are way higher on Jefferson so Rojas yeah. Yeah, than another team is. So like he probably gets thrown out, but for a completely different reason. I think like, and then again, Matt Shaw with with being like he, he's he's new to the organization. I think your your sweet spot is I, I have like a tier three, and that starts with the seventh ranked prospect, which I have is Jordan Wicks, right? So mm-hmm. I think Jordan Wicks, Jackson Ferris, Ben Brown, James Triantos, Moises Ballesteros, Canario. Like I think I think that's your sweet spot of guys that like to look at first to be included in in, in trades. Now it may be that the organ an organization wants a Christopher Morrell or a, a Hayden Wesneski or something like that that's already been at the major league level, then that kind of changes things, obviously. But yeah, for sure. That that 
kind of 7 through 11, that 7 through 12 probably, is prospects that I would kind of look at first as most likely to be included. Yeah, and, you know, Morel's such an interesting case. Like, he's such a good athlete, and as as much as I think David Ross did a good job of having third base be, you know, passable last year, um, I just don't get any real feel for, like, they, they sort of don't say he's never going to be a third baseman, but they never put him there. Yeah, yeah. And, Actually, so, like, so their, their, their kind of actions as far as Christopher Morel goes is that that type of that type of usage is what I really look at in prospect rankings where um, like, I think that a lot of people were really high on like, Oh, Jonathan Perlaza should be a lot higher on prospect rankings than a lot of people give, give him credit for. And I love Jonathan Perlaza. He's, mm-hmm. he's now a minor league free agent. He'll sign somewhere else for sure, because he might even get a major league deal somewhere potentially. Um, but I didn't include Jonathan Perlaza up in like the top 30 of my prospect ranking, top 20, whatever, because if the Cubs thought he was that good, he would be up. I know that there was, there yeah. was, there was outfield depth that he had to kind of sort through, but it's like, man, if, if, if the Cubs don't believe in him that way, should I have him as a top 30 prospect? You know, it's like, it, it, saw the same thing with uh, Velasquez too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Where it's like, I see the skills there, obviously. Like with Velasquez, he hits the ball hard as hell. Like mm-hmm. he's he's really good. But it's like, I, I there, there's a cap to how high I can get him just because like what the Cubs are telling me with their actions. You know what I mean? So like yeah. like Luis Vasquez has has now moved up my prospect rankings because I they added the forty man roster. That means that means quite a bit to me in my rankings. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I want to save some time for Bash, but I do want to get into one more guy here, um, and maybe this ties in with. Craig Breslow leaving. I mean, the, the Cubs pitching infrastructure, regardless of what council does at the major league level, they have done a really good job, I think, of putting in a consistent message across the org. Like they work guys in the same way. But let's take like Cade Horton. So I know there's a lot of buzz about, you know, is he going to be up next year? I think there's certainly a shot he can be. But if you look at his workload, like he didn't pitch in college until his last year and he threw 53 innings, if I'm remembering mm-hmm. right. And then this year he threw 88 in the minors. Yeah, like he's not going to be a hundred and sixty inning starter next year, but I'm guessing they probably want to push him to like one twenty, one thirty. Yeah, that feels about right. Typically, you're not going much more than forty innings over what you did the previous year. Okay. So, with him throwing eight, eighty, what was eight? I don't know. I think it was eighty ish, eighty three, eighty eight, yeah. something like that. Um, does that include it? Do you know if that included his his postseason start? I think I it know. did, but I'm not okay. sure. Yeah, so like, regardless, regardless, if he's if he's less than ninety, he's not gonna be he's not gonna be much over one thirty next year. That just doesn't really happen. Um, and so, yeah, how he gets used next year is one of the more interesting storylines yeah. entering the twenty twenty four season. I I honestly don't know. I don't know how he'll get used. I I've seen I uh, Greg Zumak has thrown out the idea. Maybe he just gets a late start and he starts the minor league. He starts the minor league season in May, right? Where he, mm-hmm. he starts in starts in Arizona. He's working, doing his work down in Arizona in extended spring training. Comes up in May, then he can start to get a full workload in, so he can end in Chicago in a, in a playoff run. I've seen that. Uh, I've seen I, my my co my other co host Brian Smith has kind of suggested like just going in like three inning spurts to start off his minor league season. Um, but starting at the normal like uh, late March, early April timeline, I think that makes sense. I I, I think I would probably lean towards and kind that of stretch method. as he goes, right? Yeah, so like you start off in like two two innings and three innings, then three innings for a while for like several starts. Then he gets bumped up to four innings, and so like he just slowly gets there. 
Um, that feels more natural than the May start, but I get both sides of things. Because if, he, yeah. if he's starting in May, then like he, he's just after. Like he, he can go five innings as soon as he starts pitching in May. I don't know, man. Like I, I, I think that that the the scenario that probably won't happen is that he starts off the season. Now, guys don't really start off the season throwing five innings, six innings, seven right. innings anyways. Like, that doesn't really happen in the minor leagues. But, like, I just don't see a scenario where he starts off by going four um, and then and, in in April, in early April. That's not – I don't well, think and, that – it's weird. Oh, I don't know. It's a weird situation. Yeah, and I don't want to necessarily compare them as prospects because Strasburg was, like, the big star. But I remember when Strasburg was up as a rookie, the Nationals were in contention. And it's like, mm-hmm. what are they going to do? Like, he's their ace or was up there as one of their aces. And I remember them shutting him down in September of a playoff race. And that's yeah. probably like a scenario the Cubs definitely don't want to wander into. I think the I think the the situation more recently to compare Kate Horton next year to is what the Marlins did with Yuri Perez this year. Okay. Um, I think that they, they, they shut him down. They sent him down to AAA. Like, there was, there was some weirdness along with it. I think that... I have to go back and look and, and see exactly what they did, but I think that's probably that's probably your blueprint for for Kate Horton next year is, is Yuri Perez. Um, similar, they kind of got some pause in there, right? It's basically what they did. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so yeah. I think and, and and those are both similar guys. I think that entering last year, Yuri Perez was a top thirty prospect in all of baseball. Kate Horton is going to enter next year as a top twenty prospect in all of baseball. Like, yeah, I, I think that that that's probably the blueprint. I, I don't know if. I don't know if that is. I'm sure there with, with that. I'm, I'm sure there's some conversations cross organization, right? To say, hey, is that something that worked for you guys for the Marlins? Is that do you think that, that was was best for the, the the health of it? Because obviously they're not giving giving away uh, uh, clues sure. on how to how to best compete for the playoffs. But like these players are like it's a, it's a health standpoint, especially with Kate Horton. Yeah. Well, and then like I know there's a lot of talk about babying the pitchers today compared to past years, but like Kate Horton has real actual injuries he's come back from, so you really do have yeah. to take that seriously. I think that I think that I would not I would not be surprised one single bit if Cade Horton made four starts next year in the minor leagues and got called up to the bigs. I I, I don't expect that, but I wouldn't be surprised in any way. I, I, I think that he is, is he is at this point you see across the league Teams aren't wasting bullets in the minor leagues for pitchers. If the if the guy has the stuff, which he does, if he won't look completely overmatched, which he wouldn't, mm-hmm. get him up to the big leagues, man. Like let's 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 see him work. <laughs> why why waste those bullets in in double A AA or triple A? Let's let's help the big league club win. Yeah, and good pitching is uh, a nice problem to have. Exactly. Um, so let's transition to Bash. So I when I had you on first time last year, you were just rolling out Bash and. Yeah. You had done the numbers. So it's been a year now. Like, how, how did it work out for you? Yeah, it was good. So so little background. Uh, it is this what you're right. This is the first year of bash. And, and uh, it is the offensive metric that I kind of whipped up. Uh, I am uh, this or last. I'd been working on it for a while, but I, I, I debuted it last season or the end of last season. Um, and it takes it takes into account multiple things, right? So it's a uh, it's offensive mostly around hitting. It does incorporate uh, stolen bases and caught stealing as well because I thought that was kind of important. But mm-hmm. um, it is basically you can compare it a lot to WRC plus, where 100 is league average, um, and then a a guy bashing uh, 130 is 30 percent better than league average. Um, 
it takes into account the uh, ballpark factors. For Bash, it's system average, right? It it is the the system average, yeah. Okay. Or well, it 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 crosses. It also takes into account league averages. So okay, it is the the league that they're playing at. Like the okay, Car- gotcha. the, the Myrtle Beach Pelicans is up against the, the the Carolina League. So it is league adjusted. It is ballpark adjusted, um, and then it is also age adjusted. So mm-hmm. um, a uh, guy like David Bodie playing in AAA last year at 30 years old um, obviously got dinged quite a bit because he mm-hmm. is much older than the average player at AAA. Um, in the same breath, a guy like Christian Hernandez, who on paper didn't perform very well, um, if you just look at his at his slash line and his overall season numbers, you'd say that was probably not a very successful season for Christian Hernandez. And I'd argue that it still was not a very successful season for him. But Christian Hernandez had everything going his way when it comes to bash, right? He was mm-hmm. younger than, than the average age at his league. He was uh, playing at a ballpark. Well, he was playing at a league that's really hard to hit in, yep. in a ballpark that's even more difficult than the rest of the league to hit in. Um, he really had a lot of things going his way, and he was, and he was a plus base runner, which helped him out a little bit yeah. too. So, um, yeah, it, 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 it's something that, that WRC Plus does not take into account ballpark factors. Um, okay. and. So that was kind of the first, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to gener- generate this. And then the other reason why I wanted to was because post-COVID, the the leagues got really weird in terms of the ages of players there, right? We, we lost the uh, short season league where like you, the mm-hmm. Cubs used to have Eugene. And so guys were much younger playing at, at, at uh, single A in Myrtle Beach. And then like it just kind of trickled throughout the organization where it's like, I just don't know what, how old this guy is and how he should be performing at this level. Um, and so I, I wanted to inc- incorporate that. And as far as I'm aware, I don't know of any other stats out there that incorporate age into their offensive I haven't like, seen any. Uh, values. So um, the last thing I wanted to point out with, with, with Bash is that it's not quite as extreme as what WRC Plus is, right? We, we, I, I use run values in the same way that WRC Plus uses run values, but mm-hmm. with Bash, like you won't see, you won't really see a guy bashing one like 60 that's not really a thing like if a guy posted wrc plus and is like has a really good year of like 160 it's like oh like he was really good that doesn't like for for bash anything above 130 is considered elite like that's that's like a really really good year uh of a guy being above like 130 or above so like for example i i I believe that pca latin in 2022 he was the best in the organization he was right i think it was like one 131 130 he was right around there yeah um, so, um, this year, yeah, I was really pleased with how, how it kind of turned out. I was excited to see as the season was going on, how it would be affected. And I was, I, I was constantly having to tweak throughout the season as a guy would get called up, right? If he was, if he was, uh, younger than average for his time in South Bend, and then he got called up to Tennessee where he was league average. How did that then impact the bash scores? And, and that was really fun to follow throughout the year. I had a really fun time following that. So I'm, I'm glad that I kind of have a, a final product of, of the season. And as we kind of continue, my goal at some point when, when I get any, any sort of free time, I don't know when that all, that'll ever be, but is to go back and, and have in doc, like have documented bash from like previous seasons, mm-hmm. like in, starting in 2021 and working our way back. Um, I've done that for like when, when I first started working on on this. So you talked through some of that last year. Yeah, I did that. I, I went through and, and to make sure that I wasn't crazy in what the, the stat I was whipping up, but I didn't record those and, and keep those all 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 safe. So I need to go do that. But um, yeah, so really like the the 
the leader in the system I, over the course of a full season's worth of worth of action. Now, I didn't include I don't include any rookie ball. It, it, this is from from Myrtle Beach up. Yeah. Um, and so if you're it depends on the thresholds of plate appearances. If you're looking at, at 300 as your your minimum of, uh, of plate appearances, then Jefferson Rojas was the leader. Um, he had a 134 bash. Um, if you're looking for like a true full season, Owen Casey was your leader at 131 this year, which okay. makes sense. Yep. Um, I think that like those are the two guys generating the most buzz in the system as far as hitters go this year. So uh, I'm glad that it, my goal is to make sure that this this stat for the most part lines up with the eye test. But what I'm seeing, I want to make sure mm-hmm. that it makes sense and not crazy. Every once in a while, I want to see some like guys that that don't that surprise me, obviously. Right. But I, if if something's way off, I'm like, oh. Something's wrong with the stat, but I didn't get really any any of that this year, which is good. Um, yeah, so w- that's how I used it for the year. So like, I'm a regular listener to your podcast, and I follow the stuff on Northside Bound. So it's cool to see hear the guys you're talking about, and then go check out where the bash scores were. And yeah. for the most part, they're pretty much there. One thing I was looking at this afternoon is I went and sorted instead of by bash, I sorted by age. Okay. Yeah. And if we look at if we look at the plate appearance threshold of you know 300 plus. Um, or actually 200 plus, we've got five guys in there bashing over a hundred that can't even buy a beer yet. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's yeah. Fun. And, and, and I think that, that that's, that's probably a, a pretty key part of this is that like you do see some advantages in Myrtle beach and, and those offensive performances from those guys, like from those younger guys, like they'll, they'll stand out like the Jefferson Rojas and Pedro Ramirez and, and Christian Hernandez, like those guys are going to stand mm-hmm. out a little more, a little bit more because they have a lot of those factors going their way. Um, and I think, I think that like the way it should be used is that like, how much stock should I put into a guy in terms of prospect rankings? And I think that that appeals really well to Bash. Where like, yeah, um, like I said, like like David Bodie or like like Miles Miles Mastroboni is a really good example, right? Where where he did I just talked about earlier on the show, like he did have a really good, a really solid season during his time in AAA. Uh, but because he's an older guy, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I can appreciate that he performed well. I can look at the stat line and say he did perform really well, but I'm not going to rank him on prospect. I'm, I'm not going to say, like, I'm not going to set my expectations that he's going to be a stud in Chicago um, because that bash score is still a little bit low and it accounts for that age. So right. um, like with, with, with Jefferson Rojas, like the hype, the hype on Jefferson Rojas should be about as high as I can get right now just because – he He's did 18. what he did at 18 years old in Myrtle Beach, right? So, like, right. it's just, like, that's that's really fun. There, there's a reason why Owen Casey, at 20 years old, who did what he did, is leading the, and, and, and put up damn good numbers, too, is doing what yep. he did in, in terms of bash. Well, and also, if you just sort it by bash, and, and some of these are smaller sample sizes, so they're a little bit higher, but, I mean, just looking at some of the guys that just got drafted, Brian yeah. Calmer and Jonathan Long and, obviously, Shaw, I mean... You know, it's it's just good to see those guys getting out quick, even though I don't think we know what that means yet. Yeah, and and honestly, it's it's that's the thing with Bash too is like obviously only like just small sample size alert, just like you mm-hmm. would for any any other stat. Like, be careful about that. But it's fun to see. Like, it's fun to say like, oh, like Brian Calmer bashed one fifty, <laughs> um, in in one hundred thirty eight plate appearances. Like, that's wild. That's that's not normal to do that. Um. But it, it's 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 one of those things too with, with Calmer, right? With Calmer and Jonathan Long, who did 139. He was second mm-hmm. in the organization, kind of taken off the 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 minimums. But 
um, both those guys, they did it, and they were older, especially Calmer, was older for their age at Myrtle Beach. Like, Calmer's 23 years old yeah. <laughs> um, performing at Myrtle Beach. He did not get any boost from being from being younger because he was he was he was significantly older than the average age for that level so he just did it because he just put up a 1.107 ops like he just went out there and got after 161 ops plus like that's that's crazy so um you you can you can kind of improve that score in a variety of different ways i don't i don't want to put too much emphasis on the fact that it's just like age compared to level you know Sure. No, but that's certainly part of it. Yeah. So w- when you were looking through this over the course of the year, I, you said there were no big surprises. Um, were there some guys that kind of made you do a double take here and there? Yeah, I think that the way, I think the way that Pedro Ramirez's bash continued to rise and rise and rise and rise. His situation was really interesting because, like, he started off the year and he really, really struggled during his time early mm-hmm. on in the year in Myrtle Beach. He got sent down to Arizona for. I think it was two weeks, um, a little bit less maybe. Um, and when he returned, he just started to take off. And he just, that, that bash rose pretty quickly up to the point where like he had a 128 bash this year. Um, he finished just behind Moises Ballesteros and Owen Casey. Um, so that's really, really impressive from Pedro Ramirez. And so like that was really interesting because I think a lot of times you get like these preconceived notions about like what a player is just based on that first month's performance, right? Yeah. Um, I think it, it, when you go in the opposite direction, like BJ Mur- BJ Murray, great season all, all the way across the board from start mm-hmm. to finish. Like he had a really good year. He 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 put up a, a one thirteen, uh, or sorry, a one twelve bash this year, and just had a really good slash line. Did it in double A was was really really impressive. Um, but the first month of the year, he had a one thirty. Like he was hovering right around one thirty for his bash. And so I think that my thought with BJ Murray was like, this is the greatest season ever. And then he kind of came back down to earth a little bit, right? The opposite of Pedro Ramirez. So uh, I think those those guys stand out probably the most here, um, both how the season wore on and then also just like kind of look, looking back at it now. Um, I think one other guy that I wanted to kind of it, – it's weird because I, I've talked about the, the guys that were way high. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cole Roeder was – he finished with a, a exactly average. He finished with a 100 bash. And okay. he hovered right around 100 almost the entire year long. It was pretty funny. Like he was just kind of wild. He, he's a wildly average performer offensively <laughs> the entire year, and it's like really like that that in a in the weirdest way. Like that was exactly what I wanted to see from him this year, uh, because he had been hurt, he had been inconsistent, mm-hmm. and this year he was wildly consistent. Like obviously, I'd like to see him consistently above average. Sure. But the fact that he did what he did for the entire year long, and you look across the board, like all of his numbers, like not not just the the, the cumulative bash was average, mm-hmm. like everything the, the, the two forty nine batting average, the the seven sixty OPS, the the uh the twelve percent walk rate is a little bit above average obviously, but like he was just he was just he just got it done over the course of the entire season long. And I love that and he loved that he got consistent uh, uh at bats too throughout the year. So like that's the building block for him. It's like you now he can go into next year in in AAA Iowa and hopefully get more consistent at bats and continue to just slightly improve on what he's been doing. Yeah, and that's where I mean to your point earlier. Once you hit Double A, you're on the forty man. Even really, once you're in Double A, yeah, just there's a shot. Like if yeah. if all of a sudden they need a backup infielder to just be there and take a pinch hit at bat, you know, like maybe a strumpf or somebody gets added. Mm-hmm. Um, I- yeah, and actually one more. If I'm going, if I'm going on the line here, and I'm looking at the guys that were positive, yeah. the guy that's average, one guy that kind of stood out in terms of of 
he was a really poor performer offensively. Ethan Hearn was rough. Like he was absolutely brutal mm-hmm. this year in South Bend. Um, and I'm not one of like if you listen to listen to Cubs on deck, like I I never like like going in on guys for being poor performers. That's not like that's not my vibe. But I, I think it's important to call out and bash because last year Bash really liked him. Um, in terms like, yeah. relative to, relative to the overall numbers he put up, right? Like he wasn't a top performer in Bash in the organization, but compared to the numbers that he put up overall, like he was he was better than what we gave him credit for. Mm-hmm. And this year, like in 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 High A in South Bend, like. I mean the the numbers like the the, the slash line was awful. Oh, the slash line bad. was was one fifty six two thirty two thirty six two twenty four. Like that's that's as bad as it gets. He had he had the worst bash in the organization at sixty four. Like I said, with with one thirty kind of being the peak, like mm-hmm. that's the elite. You take it the other way, thirty percent below league league average. If you're below seventy, like that's that's really really bad. So. Uh, that was just a, su- a surprising change of pace where like I, I was kind of like higher on him coming into the year because I was like, oh, he outperformed his numbers. Like, I, I thought he was better than what mm-hmm. the num- what the, the traditional number said. Um, and turns out that was not the case uh, this year. <laughs> well, that, I mean, his numbers, he didn't perform anyway, but then that's also where now he's 23 years old in high A-ball. Like, mm-hmm. You do start to lose some stature at that point and guys are passing you up in the system and yeah, and he and he wasn't he wasn't taking walks like he had previously. He wasn't hitting for any type of power that I, like I expected to break out with. So it was just it was a it was kind of a full one eighty in terms of what we saw from Ethan Hearn. Yeah. Are you planning any changes in the metric for next year? Um. No, I I think that well y- yes and no. Um. I I don't think there's anywhere that I'm I'm making small tweaks here and there. Uh. I mean I I. I I will update every year in terms of run values and kind of utilizing okay. fan graphs for run yep. values. I do that. Um, so those will be like minor, minor, tw- like very minor tweaks. Um, and then also uh, with ballpark factors, I'll take into account, I use Baseball America's numbers for ballpark factors every year. Um, and so just the more, um, the more data I get as far as certain ballparks, the more that helps kind of refine uh, the the ballpark factors in this, so okay. that'll make a, that'll get a, a small tweak. I have several things that I, I would love to kind of incorporate or think about incorporating into into bash. Like like I said, I'd like to go back in time and and uh, finish some of those some of that work. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd also like to there's there's part of me and I, I'm not sure how how much I want to do this, but part of me thought about um, taking into account uh, positional value in doing this. Obviously, okay. like a, a hitter that is playing shortstop. Um, it, it, an average hitter playing shortstop is better than an average hitter playing second base. You know what I mean, yep. or third third base. So, um, taking into account positional value, I'm one. I'm not sure how I would go about doing that. Mm-hmm. Two, I'm not sure how much I would weigh it. And three, I don't know how much I'd want to take away from the rest of the stat that's that's already already there. Yeah, in the that's true. So that's something that like I might tinker with and keep separate and and just do that to keep keep to myself and see how that works. I, I think that like that also, I mean, in, in addition to all of that, that I just mentioned it, that, that adds a lot of work onto my yes, plate in terms of, <laughs> in terms of tracking their position throughout the year. Um, so, I mean, cause these guys kind of play all over. So uh, that makes it, makes it a little more difficult, but it, overall not much as far as changes go to bash going, going into next year, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. It was fun to follow this year. I was ha- happy to have it. It was I appreciate a fun, fun resource. Um, I guess as we head in the off season, like what's uh, what would be your ideal state as as from the prospect guy? Like some of these guys we really like are probably going to go somewhere else. Yeah, I it's the hardest thing as a prospect 
prospect nerd um, to kind of see these guys traded away because I've, I've selfishly I've I've invested time into following these guys and tracking their careers and and uh, and being able to kind of rank these guys and predict what they'll do in, in the major league level, and so I, I it's tough to see some of these trades happen where prospects are going away. Um, but on the bright side, I am I'd say more than more than being a fan. Like I'm I'm a fan of the Tennessee Smokies and the South Bend Cubs. I'm, I'm a fan of those teams. Um, but more, way more than that, I'm just a fan of each of these individual players, mm-hmm. um, which is different than my fandom at the major league level, right? Like I, I'm, I have my favorite players at the major league level, but like I'm a, I'm a Chicago Cubs fan, and so I mm-hmm. want the the major league team to do well. At the minor league level, I want these players to do well. So if they're traded away, if Kevin O'Connor is traded away, I'm going to root my butt off for him to make the major leagues. I want him. For example, DJ, the Cubs traded away DJ Hurst yeah. um, uh, this trade deadline for, for Jamer Candelario. He just got added today to the 40 man roster for the for the Washington Nationals. Love that. Did DJ Made? Hurst was a guy? What say again? Did Made get added? Made did not get added. Okay, uh, he did not. But Hurst did, which is like awesome because I, I talked with DJ quite a bit, had him on the on the podcast. Like he was just a great guy. So like I'm rooting so hard for him to succeed at the major league level. I'd love that. Um, and so it just it's it's this weird weird like. I'm happy if, when the Cubs acquire major league talent and trade away mm-hmm. prospects. I'm happy for the Cubs to get better. I'm sad to lose this player I've been covering, but I'm also happy for the player because maybe they'll get a better opportunity to, to succeed at their new team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what I'm rooting for this offseason is the lowest amount of pain in terms of my <laughs> prospect fandom. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing I look at, like I look at it from the Cubs, pers- Chicago Cubs perspective first. So I want... I want a championship team if that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, this prospect depth also has limited shelf life, right? Like yeah. you can't just keep Alexander Canario in AAA for the next five years. Yeah. Um, you're going to waste that value if he's not brought up or traded. So, yeah. And I, I want, like, I think that last thing I'll say on that is that like, I think that Alexander Canario is a good, com- a good conversation to have as far as like the comps to Nelson Velasquez, right? Very mm-hmm. similar players in a lot of ways, but like, I think that the Velasquez situation was really interesting because he just didn't have quite as much value based on the fact that he was having to be sent back down to AAA. He wasn't logging those at-bats in the major league. I, I think he was better than the value he got back in the trade with all due respect to Jose Quas. Um, yeah. And so that becomes super interesting in balancing that. Like trading, guy, like trading guys before they start to depreciate in value, but also not trading them before like they can potentially make an impact on your team. So mm-hmm. I don't know. That's... I don't get paid the big bucks for that. That's a, that's a Jed Hoyer story, and I get to critique him if he's doing it poorly because that's, right. that's just how it works, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, so I appreciate your time today. It's great having you on. I know you got a hard stop. Um, where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me um, on the Cubs on Deck podcast. We, we post all over on uh, any podcast platform where you listen to Cubs PS Plus. Uh, also over on the Northside Bound YouTube page. You can check us out over there and see our beautiful faces. Um, we'll be kind of posting some videos throughout in addition to the podcast. Um, I've been trying to upload some shorts over there. I've been working, working hard on that. We'll see how, if that continues, uh, maybe a few, a few other video things here or there throughout the off season. That should be fun. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at out of the, or at out of the vines. You can find the show over on, uh, Instagram at Cubs on deck. 
um, all that good stuff. You can find me on all the social medias. You can find me somehow. Just search Greg Huss, see what pops up. Great. It's always great listening. It's great having you on. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining Greg and I today. If you like this episode, please drop a rating and a review wherever it is you get your podcasts and share the episode with a friend. Just a few seconds from you gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at CubsPS Plus. And check out the Patreon page at cubspsplus.patreon.com to help support the show. As always, the theme music for this podcast is Prospect Park West by Jerry McCoy. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!